Hello, and welcome back to another edition of the Yank Your Socks Off podcast. I am the best host there ever was, and my name is Andrew Gambardella III. Always joining me, my best friend, co-host, and an even better host, Matthew Beal. Matthew, would you like to start us off on today's show? Uh, yes. It's a big topic that we're going to start with today. What highlights our day today, and what will probably be most of the show, is, is David Ortiz being the only inductee into this year's Hall of Fame. Congratulations, first off, before we start, um, because I'm sure we're going to have differing opinions here. Um, I do want to say congrats to him, but yeah, that's all I'll say for now. Cool. I will take it away. So, you know, big week, big week for the Red Sox and, and big week for Red Sox fans across the country and in the world. And, uh, Big week for the Dominican Republic. Um, the greatest DH of all time, David Ortiz, has been inducted into the Hall of Fame and chosen by the Baseball Writers of America to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And this goes for all Red Sox fans out there, but I think David held, uh, holds a very special place in our hearts. And, uh, and I kind of just want to share uh, my thank you to him with, a little piece of my life and uh i mean for for people my age who uh grew up Sox fans i was born in 97 so i wasn't too old when i saw my first world series and uh obviously that was when i was seven in 2004 i i remember waking up at 12 a.m and uh my dad came upstairs and grabbed me and my three brothers and said guys like something big is happening and we ran downstairs sat in front of the television and watched the red sox clinch the world series and and that was on the shoulders of uh big poppy and obviously pedro martinez and manny ramirez but like but when it comes down to it i mean david ortiz is arguably the clutchest player of all time and and belongs in conversations with reggie jackson and and guys who just killed it in october can can i can I? Okay. Oh my okay. God. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. So, uh, so I will continue. Yeah, uh, I, I, that, 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 I, all right. I'll stop talking. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just in shock. Um, big poppy, one of the clutchest players ever. Um, I, I didn't say the clutchest player just to, just to clarify, but one of the clutchest players. Um, and, uh, and I, I kind of just want to, you know, give, a bit of a background i mean obviously we've we've all uh, known about what it took for the red sox to to win a world series it was 86 years between 1918 and uh and 2004 and i mean it's just it, it it was it was a lot on red sox fans at the time and and i'm so thankful to have grown up red sox fan but i i have to give all that thanks to 
my lineage that had raised me and um my my great grandfather grew up a Red Sox fan he he grew up in Maine and uh and he picked up the Red Sox as early as they started playing and um and my grandfather and my dad passed that down to me and uh and my grandfather stuck it out for 64 years I believe if if I'm correct uh 68 years as just growing up as a kid never saw the Red Sox win a World Series. You know, his name was uh, Ted Beal, and uh, and he was named after uh, in part to Ted Williams because of you know he was just a, a big figure in the area and um, and having you know my great grandfather growing up in Maine and then uh, having my grandfather in Connecticut. They're always part of like Red Sox Nation, and so like Ted just kind of had a a ring to it at the time. He was a prominent baseball player, prominent. Um, spokesperson in the area and just a, a guy with a lot of great values to live up to uh serve our country in the war and so like just to give a background of how long the red sox have been in my family and and my grandfather stuck it out for 68 years in 2004 made his entire life and what i'm the point i'm trying to get at is david ortiz did that for people all over the world i mean he did it for the dominican republic his hometown he did it for uh people in new That's england he did for the people like me growing up what well he did do it for his town but he also did it for his country okay. the dominican republic uh sorry for my lack of uh speaking um but uh it did it for i i knew what new you england. meant his, his hometown for... is santo domingo though he did it for santo domingo right. yes right and so just all these people that like lives were changed by david ortiz I, I know it's like i mean the people listening to this like i am willing to bet that sports is a really important part of their lives and and some people don't really understand it to the point that we do but for me it's like i mean the red sox is family to me and and that's kind of the origin of my family and that's like all i knew as a kid growing up that's the environment that i was immersed in i mean that was one of my first memories ever that I had with all my brothers and my dad. And so like, so David Ortiz is just this figure that facilitated that. And so growing up, like I idolized him and, um, and so did, I mean, even my dad, like who was in his thirties at the time, uh, he, you know, hadn't ever seen the Red Sox win a world series and, like that's just that's something that just brings you back to your childhood and like for me I mean obviously I was a kid but being able to see my dad and grandfather celebrate this and like um it, it was just it was so special and like so meaningful in my life and I uh I just want to share that because there's there's so many people out there with similar experiences and uh and unfortunately, 2004 was also the year when my great grandfather had passed. And so it was just a really big moment, especially for my grandfather and my dad. And like and it was kind of just this whole thing like that had come around and um, and through this tough time, like it the, the Red Sox just brought us a ton of joy. And like um, and I wish I could remember more of it. But uh, but I do remember those moments. I remember the emotion. I remember uh my dad crying that night like I just you know all that is just very meaningful to me and so I want to thank you David for that even though you'll probably never hear this message but uh I just you know want to want to speak for for those out me who had similar experiences 
And, um, and you know, obviously he did again in 07, did it in uh, 2013. And uh, 2013 was a special year for everybody out there. Obviously, the, uh, the horrible terrorist attack happened at the Boston Marathon. And, and the city kind of just rallied around the Red Sox because that was all they had to cling to. And, and David Ortiz was, again, the center of that. And so I, I think this winning culture that exists in Boston is mostly due to David and uh, obviously, you know, a little bit Tom Brady, but, uh, but, you know, we're not talking about Tom Brady right now. We're talking about David Ortiz and, uh, and he deserves to be a first bout Hall of Famer. He's brought uh, a winning culture to Boston uh, who haven't had that mindset for 86 years and, uh, and Boston will never be the same after him. And, uh, and so I would just, you know, like to conclude this statement with just saying thank you and uh and, and you know I, I know that there's never going to be someone to fill your shoes but uh but i only hope that we have someone who's half the player and half the man that you are and uh you know i feel like uh david's always been a little bit part of my family because he's been in my living room since i was a kid and uh yeah watch him every day of the summer and yeah so i i, I owe a lot of gratitude to that man and now uh the the world uh respects and acknowledges the fact that he belongs in uh one of the greatest establishments in sports yeah it is one of the most prestigious establishments in sports and i want to start my argument um thank you um most of your argument was a, a sob story so thank you for 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 that um I was pouring out for my heart. Yeah, that that was beautiful. Um, And to me, I I don't feel that way. I don't have that bias. I guess I have biased against because I'm a Yankees fan, but I've seen him punish the Yankees time and time again. So I'm taking a logical approach here and I'm going to spit out a lot of different angles where you can attack this. Now, I want to start this this um, response in this debate. Um, is the debate is, should he be a first ballot Hall of Famer? And the answer to that flat out is no, 100% no. He should not be in the Hall of Fame, but he is now. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He just should have had to wait a couple of years. Now, this is a pointless argument at this point because he's in, and congratulations to him. But I just want to argue because it just came out that he's in. um, So... I want to make the argument as to why he shouldn't have been. And I think part of the reason why he got in this year is because he's the only guy on the ballot on the ballot this year that had a realistic shot, even though I think Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens being their last year available on the ballot, because you're only allowed to be on the MLB ballot for 10 years and you need 75% of the vote to get in. This was the 10th year for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, some of the best players to ever do it. They didn't get in. We know why they didn't get in because of Roy's usage. Um, and I'll start there. Um, David Ortiz did test positive for Roy's in 2003. Um, people just like to push that under the rug. The league, Rob Manfred, likes to push that under the rug. And now they said that there was 10 false positive tests out of the tests they took that year when hundreds of players tested positive. So the percentage the chance that he was a false positive is very low considering he's a late bloomer. He didn't start really raking 
and, and getting a foothold in the MLB until he was 26, 27. Um, and the size he put on in his age and how strong he was able to be at the age of 40 years old and not get injured is incredible to me. But part of the reason he doesn't get injured is because he is a DH. Um, so roids aside, because I know he didn't. Well, get, I would like, just like to make a comment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I made some comments, a fact so, check. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just a quick fact check before we pass on uh, from the Royd statement. Okay. Um, personally, I don't know what David Ortiz did early in his career, and I'm not going to speculate anything or convict a guy who you know was never convicted properly. Right. But the report that came out in the New York Times that you're referencing was for an unnamed drug. There was no uh, there was no indication whether or not this was a test for Royds. Rob Manfred said himself that for all he knows, it could have been um, a pain reliever. It could have been absolutely anything. Um, all we do know is that this happened around the time that the MOB was investigating whether or not they should start testing for roids. At this point, they had not been testing for roids. Um, it was not an outlined uh a PED that was banned by the league or like being tested by the league. Obviously any type of PED is um, illegal in all sports, but it was not being tested for it. And so we presume that these results came out in conjunction with the MLB investigation, but that was never confirmed uh, because these results were not supposed to be made public and uh, only numbers were supposed to come out. And so when when names came out, it was a surprise to everybody. And uh, to be completely honest, I mean, this is at a point where testing was not developed and there's really no way of them telling whether or not like how many or how few false positives there were after this instance, because there was only one test and they don't know how accurate their testing was they can only project a number for right. how accurate they believe it is i'm just saying so positive for whatever they were for testing something for. and but and, not necessarily steroids okay yes not necessarily but manny Ramirez also tested positive for whatever that substance was on that same world series team um in 2004 and this test was taken in 2003 which was david ortiz breakout season with the twins i just want to make that that is a fact it was actually he did not have a breakout with the twins in 2003 he finished fifth in mvp voting he He wasn't on the raid he got cut by the twins in 02 he got signed by the red sox in 03 that that i am wrong about (laughs) that all right oh two he did have kind of a breakout he batted 270 with 20 home runs and 75 rbis then in 03 he tests positive for that random drug, if you want to want me to say it that way. Then break out with Boston, and then the rest is history. Um, great history. Um, the emotion, the smile on David Ortiz's face when he would hit home runs against the Yankees, and the swag and the absolute. I was scared when he came to the plate as a fan. Um, so that that alone has to say something on how how much. I respect the man. I, I really do. I mean, he's he's an incredible player, um, and there's nothing against that. I just don't think he should be a first ballot, and here are my reasons why. One, the cloudiness with the roids. 
even guys with cloud, um, with even the semblance of doubt, like Mike Piazza took four years, arguably the greatest offensive catcher of all time, took four years to get in. Um, and then player comps just like him. Um, the, the first greatest DH of all time was Edgar Martinez um, before David Ortiz really supplanted himself on that shelf. Now, here, here is Edgar Martinez's stats for his career. Batted 312 with a 418 on base percentage and a 515 slugging. Um, that is very, very similar to um, Big Poppy stats. You want me to give you Big Poppy st- slash line? Sure. What, what do you think it's going to be, the slash line for his career? You think it's going to be better uh, or worse than that of Martinez's? Uh, if you're prompting this question, worse. Okay, it is worse. Um, I know how obvious that prompt was. 286, 380 on base, but 552 slugging. He hit 200 more home runs than Martinez's, which counts for something. So about equal That's what when I was you weigh say. that out. Yes, much better power numbers. But for a when guy you're that- in the 500 club, that holds a different weight to the MLB writers of okay, America. Okay, okay, but you, which you- whether it should or shouldn't, I'm not one to judge, but it just does. And a player with 500 home runs and the slash line that David Ortiz had is going to look a lot more. Uh, just substantial to these writers in the first year. And uh, I mean, uh, that's kind of what it comes down to. I mean, David Ortiz is part of these clubs that very few people are and Edgar Martinez, although phenomenal, I mean, he hit 300 home runs and was 200 short of what David ended up with. Yeah. Um, I'll continue there. Yeah. Okay, 500 club, you want to say that's great. But with the roids thing over his head, that has to put some cloudiness to it. And they've just swept it under the rug because he's a red sock. Um, and he's got a great personality. And the league, the league loved him. And I think that bias got him in year one. I'm not saying what I'm saying in this is that he deserved to wait, not deserved. I just think he should like making these guys wait is, is crazy. Uh, I mean, the stress they go through and how much they value getting into the Hall of Fame. And the, I, I watched his reaction so genuine. So like for a man to react that way and so happy is just awesome. Um, and you could just see the jubilance on his face and the absolute pure joy. Um, and I love that. I don't want to take that away from him. I'm just saying other guys have had to wait like Edgar Martinez waited till his 10th ballot. You know how nervous he must have been? Final time, he would have been not even a chance the rest of his life to make the Hall of Fame, and he gets in in year 10. Yeah, well, he would have had another chance, but, you know, with the exception of the veteran committee. Okay. He would have had a chance. That is true, but I I just want to – next, I want to go into my third phase of this, other names of recent first ballot Hall of Famers. And – and his name is just not in this category of Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Roy Holiday, Chipper Jones, uh, Pudge Rodriguez, although he did have some cloudiness. That that I would go because he had some cloudiness with Roy's too. But Ken Griffey, Randy Johnson, Pedro, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Frank Thomas, Ricky Henderson, Tony Gwynn. Those are all guys in the past 15 years that are – first ballot hall of famers. That's it. 
And now you add David Ortiz to that list. I, it, he just doesn't fit in that list to me. He, he's a designated hitter. He doesn't play on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so to me, it's just the value isn't there to his team that I think other guys brought to the table. Um, but if you want to go face of the franchise and, and changing, changing around the Red Sox, um, he was not the MVP of that 04 team. You had the likes of Jason Veritek as your leader and face of that franchise. You had Kevin Millar, Kevin Euclid, Manny Ramirez, Johnny Damon, Pedro was on that team, Tim Wakefield, Kirk Schilling, um, Kirk Schilling, another one um, who I don't think got in yet, um, but I don't think he deserves to with his stats. But he, before his little roids, you know, scan, not roid, I won't say random drug scandal, um, other guys who were like, were like him and who are, who got frozen out like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, not like Ortiz. Cause they actually, they had scandals and they were suspended by the league. Um, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds Clemens in 1986 was a Cy Young winner and an MVP. He won back-to-back Cy Youngs in 86 and 87 um, won another one in 91. These, this is well before he tested positive well back when he tested positive in 2004. I, I'm not saying they didn't have drugs then in the 80s, um, but the drugs then were like to go party okay. and have fun <laughs> at, at, a, at a concert. Um, same thing with Bonds in the 80s. He was stealing 50 bases a game. Complete, he obviously took roids. I mean, he went from stealing 30 bases a year and hitting 20 home runs to hitting 45 home runs a year and stealing like two bases. And he put on so much weight. It was just so obvious. Um, but he was still going to be a hall of famer before take before becoming the all time home run leader. Uh, I, I don't know how you could have the all time home run leader, although albeit with an asterisk, not in the hall of fame, but you're saying the 500 club is worth something. I think it is worth something, but first ballot to me is crazy. Um, but his postseason antics, um, I, I will argue with you here for you, um, Mr. October, Reggie Jackson, who you mentioned in your argument, batted 270 with a 380 on base percentage and close to a 500 slugging percentage. Um, while Big Poppy batted 290 with a 400 on base percentage um, and a 540 slugging percentage in the playoffs. Um, he has three World Series wins, while the likes of Reggie Jackson has five, um, who won three of them with Oakland, um, which is not a perennial superstar team. Um, so carrying Oakland to championships, um, I think, Put, gives him a little bit of an edge when it comes to him versus Ortiz with postseason hitting. And Reggie also was a good outfielder. Um, now, Mr. November, on the other hand, Derek Jeter, batted 308 with a 380 on base percentage and a 460 slashing, but also was a solid shortstop um, and the face of a Yankees franchise who also won five World Series. So, I don't know. Was, was David Ortiz, I, I could be wrong here. Was David Ortiz ever a captain? 
No, he was not. Okay. I, I mean, to me, he's not even the face of bringing, breaking the curse. Uh, to me, him breaking, How? breaking the curse is, who is, it's gotta be Veritek and Pedro and that pitching staff with Kirk Schilling, Tim Wakefield. I mean, you were loaded in that. I mean, pitch. it's the that, whole team. Johnny Damon. I get it. I mean, Ortiz is just I, another name, like, another name. Like Manny Ramirez was better than him at the time. Like it's like David Not Ortiz. many people were better than Manny Ramirez at the time, but in the playoffs, David Ortiz was the guy. I mean, Manny Ramirez was uh, arguably the best hitter in the league at that point. Yes, but Johnny Soon Damon took was, over, was but... one of the best leadoff men. Jason Veritek was arguably the best, the best, um, pitch caller yeah the best i would say best catcher i mean he batted 290 in that world series i'm looking at these world series stats um yeah he uh, almost 300 millar almost 300 manor ramirez batted 308 i mean this whole team almost batted over 300 except for pokey reese at shortstop i mean gabe kepler in right field <laughs> batted 270 like this team just raked they won four nothing yeah. In the playoffs, I mean, they, they were ju- they were just loaded. I I don't think he's. I'm just saying he's a generational type type talent um, as a lefty batter, uh, but he is a DH, and I don't know why there was so. What I don't get here is there's a guy like Edgar Martinez. There's other guys with void clouds over his over their heads, um, and. There's just other first ballot Hall of, Hall of Famers that are head and shoulders had better careers than him. Um, and saying that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer means something different. You, you know that, right? Like you're saying 500 club, that means a lot. But first ballot Hall of Famer just means that much more. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's there. He has climbed that mountain. Yes. Yes, he has. Um, so that's, that's my argument. Um, I oh, don't know. also one more thing I want to add. Yeah. So I, I agree with you, uh, Reggie Jackson's Mr. October, but, uh, I call big poppy senior October and, uh, you know, <laughs> Derek Jeter could have his Mr. November name too. So like that, I, I consider them all up there. I mean, obviously that you can't say who is the best unless if they played against each other, which Jeter and Ortiz did, but Jeter's best years, um, uh, you know, weren't defined by 2004. And so like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to compare the two because their postseason heroics happened in different years, but yeah, like, you know, I'll, I'll give them all those nicknames. Like, you know, I, I don't think there's any reason why uh, there can't be a couple of those and, and they're all different. So, you know, <laughs> um, that's that's why I like to call David Senior October, because what he did in the postseason doesn't outweigh what Reggie did and it doesn't replace what Reggie did. Um, and nor does it replace what Jeter like had done. Uh, and and I hate in comparing the 90s. to other people. I'm just saying. Right. Just saying like they all have these are right other human beings, too, that like had like, you know, have all of this angst and anxiety and and just nerves about getting into the hall of fame and he's just he's just in and it rubs more salt in the wound this year because it was bond's 10th year on the ballot it was clemens 10th year on the ballot and they both didn't get in 
but Ortiz got in. So it, it just seems like a slap in the face to those guys who did bring so much to the game. Um, and I think with the yeah. amount of people that have rumors about taking stuff and were caught for taking stuff in that time, being it, it's like the sticky tack this year. The MLB does everything so wrong. Like they didn't make that illegal. They made it illegal very abruptly in 2004. I'm, I'm not saying what the guys were doing was right because it, it's not, it, it's proven that all those PEDs are not good for your body. Like, but it was great for the sport. Um, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire made baseball fun again um, way back when, before we were even born. So maybe without them, we wouldn't even have the base, the MLB we have now. Um, right. So, uh, yeah. I, uh, I do I th- want to go on the record of saying, and I have been pretty hard on steroid users in the past, but my outlook has uh, matured a little bit. And, uh, and I just want to go on the record of saying that Barry Bonds is the best hitter who ever lived and Roger Clemens is top three pitcher who ever lived um, with, uh, in my opinion, uh, Pedro and Randy Johnson. Uh, but uh, And I have so much trouble assigning one, two, and three to those names. Wow. But No like, Nolan Ryan in that list? It, I, you see, I love Nolan Ryan. But Nolan Ryan, uh, the the difference that I draw with these players is Nolan Ryan had like two really really good pitches, and I love Nolan Ryan. I think he was incredible, and he was the first player to throw as hard as he did. Um, but if you threw him into a league that was a little bit more prone to the fastball, I just don't know if he would done as well. Where like Pedro had five pitches that were all elite and all elite to the level that uh, Nolan Ryan's fastball was, and he had more of a mix. And Reggie uh, – Reggie, I'm sorry. Um, Randy Johnson, uh, I mean, didn't have as many pitches, but he had three to four elite pitches, depending on what night you're talking. But Randy could, you know, rev it up to 98-99 and also throw that knee-buckling slider. And then, obviously, yeah. Roger Clemens had out of one the of newer... the best fastballs of all time and an incredible curveball. And, like, it just, you know, had the whole repertoire just like Pedro. And that's why I like those three. Yeah, I, Because I they you. had the repertoire. The newer guys needed the more repertoire. But the old guys pitched, right. like, every day. Like, Cy Young, Bob Gibson, right. Tom Seaver. Yeah. Like, these guys were pitching so many innings. And, and for that, they deserve yeah. a tip of the cap, too. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. It's tough to master five pitches when you're throwing your arm off. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's tough to go back into history and to compare eras, but like I, for me, dominance, like those three guys just like ring a different bell. And it's, it's about like going down to the five pitches and like, and and yeah, I mean, you know, there wasn't as much um, into developing pitches early on in the MLB. It was like, if you had one or two great pitches, like stick with that. Um, But Pedro was known to have thrown like 14 different pitches over his career. And I I believe Roger Clemens was up there kind of always changing his pitches, giving batters different looks. Um, I mean, Randy Johnson was a, a different animal. Oh, like he didn't I mean, really guys were scared. If you were a lefty, even, <laughs> oh, yeah. Dave, even David Ortiz would have been scared to to jump in the box against Randy Johnson. I mean, 
And, he was just but, different. Uh, I mean, he killed oh, a bird. Yeah. He killed a bird in warmups. I mean, that that yeah. guy will go down, and he's already gone down in history. <laughs> Unbelievable pitcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, I love those guys, and like, but the point I was trying to make is Roger Clemens is is up there and you know like whether he's one two or three it doesn't really matter in my book he's a hall of famer and like maybe steroids prolonged his career and helped him but if you're looking at his prime years that doesn't even matter i mean pedro ended up pitching for about i think 10 or 11 years and like a solid three or four of those years he was like good but like and you know an all-star but you know nothing crazy it was that seven year prime that like propelled them to uh, uh, uh i know that's a mistake so he had seven years with the red sox which were all incredible uh two years with the expos that were incredible so so like a nine year span where he was amazing and that's you know what brought pedro into this like uh, obviously the hall of fame, but not only that propelled him into the conversation for one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And so when you look at Rogers career, I mean, what steroids did was allowed him to pitch past 34, 35. When he started getting hurt, that's when most people like suspected him to start steroids. And that's what he um, confirmed when he was taking steroids. But if you look at the first 10 years of his career, wipe out the rest of them. I mean, like dude is still up there in the top three and like and so i just don't know how you make an argument against it because for all of his talent like most of that was shown without steroids or without any suspicion of steroids and um and i'm not really here to say like you know what year he took steroids and what year he didn't but when it when it came to injuries that's usually what drew uh players into um that mindset of like, okay, I need something else to get me out on the field. And I just don't imagine that Roger Clemens was uh, the guy to just, you know, take steroids because he thought he needed them. Like competitive people just aren't like that. And so you only really take steroids when you feel like you really, really need them. And at that point, it's, it's like, you know, you've been hurt and you need them to get back. on. Yeah. The I, I like, think it was because he was getting to the later part of his career and he didn't mm-hmm. want it to end. And yeah. he just saw a way to keep it going at a high level. So, yeah. Fun fact. <laughs> when uh, Roger Clemens, uh, um, obviously, uh, had agreed to give his testimony while he was on stand and uh, on his trial, they asked him, they're like, okay, so what years did you use steroids? And he said, I use steroids and I, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember specifically him admitting to the year that he was on the Yankees. Uh, he was there for longer, obviously, but uh, admitting to one of the years that he was on the Yankees for using steroids uh, that year. And they asked him, okay, like, have you used steroids any other year? And he said, absolutely not. And they asked him if he used steroids in Boston. And he said, no, I absolutely did not. And so, I don't know. I, uh, I feel like Clemens has a, uh, a love for Boston. And I kind of appreciated hearing that story. It just kind of made me laugh. He threw the Yankees under the bus, but wouldn't throw the, you know, his time with the Sox under the bus, which, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, smart yeah, man, yeah. because that, those were his best years anyways. Yeah, I mean, he's going to give, you know, loyalty to the place where he did the best with and had the best experience with. And New York is a tougher environment to play in than Boston, that's for sure, um, with the New York yeah. media. Um, 
But I'm glad that the beat went rather amicably. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I disagree was, with you. Yeah, no, I, I know. I, I, dis- famer, I disagree. <laughs> I mean, he is. So literally, you did literally, he is. So I, I, right. I really don't have, I'm just saying he shouldn't have been. Um, and I, I'm going to say that probably for the rest of my years um, until I hear a better argument that then you getting called waking up in the middle of the night to watch the Red Sox win the World Series when you were a kid. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, let's move on. Before we move on, um, I'm going to le- leave a little bit of tad bit about the current MLB and current MLB structure. Um and the MLB lockout and what's going on there. They're starting to have meetings again. Um, Three key things um, happened out of these meetings, out of these, out of the Tuesday meetings. Um, They agreed, the MLBPA and the owners agreed to the union's proposal of a bonus pool for players in their pre-arbitration years. the MLB, but they didn't finish on this. The MLB, they, and it'd be based on the top 30 players um, in war for that year. The MLB Players Association wants $105 million, and the MLB countered with 10. So that's where they come. <laughs> the, it stopped there. Beautiful. Yeah, I, Beautiful. I'm glad I'm getting your live um, um, response to this because my first response to this was crazy. <laughs> This is unbelievable. Um, Minimum salary. I don't think we're having baseball on time this year. No, 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 no. Spring training is is a hope and a prayer at this point. Um, Yeah. But MLB is raising the minimum salary to six fifteen thousand for players from zero to one service, Um, and then six fifty one to two seven hundred for two to three years of service. But the MLBPA is looking for a starting salary of $775,000. So I think they'll meet somewhere in the low 700. I think they'll meet at 700,000 there. That looks like it should be solved pretty easily. But then the MLB just dropped its proposed changes to the arbitration system. Um, They they don't want the pay for play anymore. And they, um, it seems like, the players won in this instance because the pay for play system doesn't give a lot of guarantees, but the arbitration system doesn't really either. It kind of holds players back from making a lot of money. Um, so it's kind of a eh, eh, instead of a win, lose, win, win, it's just an eh, eh, like it's just other yeah. news there. But the big, I don't move, think anybody wins there. I think the only way to do it is to restructure that. But yeah, so that's not going to happen this time around. But I think with the pre-arb years, getting that bonus money in there for like the really young players is really nice because like the guys like the Bellingers of the world, um, who are just raking like as young kit like young kids, you know, like our age and younger, like now, like 18 year olds, 20 year old, like the Bryce Harper's when he came in, um, Bryce could have made, you know, $10 million in bonuses every year. Um, and that's, that's, that's a decent salary. And that's, that's worth, you know, what the MLBPA is seeking right now, but 
the 105 million they're trying to get versus the 10 million that the MLB countered is really funny. That's a long way away. Yep. Yeah, I that I, is not even close. No, that's not even in the same ballpark. We're not even mm-hmm. fishing. It's like MOB is fishing in a little pond while like the PA is saying, you know, we live on Lake Superior. Why would you go to the pond behind your house and not like not to across the street and fish in Lake Superior when you have all this money and all this revenue? Um, that was, I don't know if that like analogy, analogy, yeah, that I was okay. All right. It, yeah. I, I didn't know why I was going really with it, but I it went. Works. All right. That, that's all I have to, to mention about the, uh, yeah, the MLB. Yeah, that's funny. And the lockout. I just thought that was really funny. So I thought we should bring that up. Um, I do appreciate that. That was hilarious. And one little tidbit, nothing to do with the MLB, but I did check Instagram today. Um, and Braylon made a post. Um, your fiance, um, and you look rather dapper. You were at the Duke game last night when they played Clemson. Um, and for a second, I know you've been a Tar Heel fan most of your life. So I looked at the shirt and it's blue and white stripes, and I thought it was a Duke shirt. And I was like, what the hell is he doing? I zoom in, and it's a little Air Force logo on it. And I said, you are such a sly dog deal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Big well time played. sly dog. I'm going to clap that oh. up for you. That was – Thank I, you. I, I – I, yeah. Part of me yeah. inside of me died a little when you when you put the Duke in. I thought you were getting whipped hard because she's going to Duke, Duke right now. Um, and I, I thought she was taking away your roots of your Carol, your Carolina fandom. But props oh. to you, man. Hats off to you. That was thank you. Thank that you. was hilarious. Yeah, I so I was uh you know, full disclosure. Um Jonathan uh met Braylon and I uh to go to the Duke game last night, Duke Clemson. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously sitting in the camera crazy section, I'm like, well, you know, I obviously am not rooting for the other team because fuck Clemson and, you know, you know, sucks. Uh, Clem sucks. <laughs> Just, you know, go Cox, you know, all that. Uh, have more loyalty to my game Cox than I do uh, Tar Heels and, um, you know, I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast, but I did grow up a Tar Heels fan uh, because college sports just weren't really big where we were from and didn't want to root for Rutgers. So um, I chose the Tar Heels. And uh, until I went to school at USC, I was a pretty big UNC fan and watched a ton of basketball games. That was that was really the only sport I followed. A little bit of football, but not really much. Um, as soon as I went to South Carolina, I kind of – dropped my fandom of UNC sports, but was a big fan up until that point. And so it still pained me a lot to go to a Duke game. But, you know, I mean, obviously I want Duke to win because I never want Clemson to win. And I was in the student section and I'm like, well, I got to wear a Duke blue. I got two options. I could wear a Duke t-shirt. I could wear, um, you know, just a blue shirt. Or, you know, I was looking through my closet and I had this polo that uh, my grandfather gave me because he went to the Air Force Academy. And obviously, you know, it's same color, blue, royal blue. And I decided to wear that to kind of just make it very clear that I was 
not wearing a Duke item of clothing to a Duke game. But I, I would be remiss to say that um, I didn't root for Duke because that's false. I did root for Duke. And uh, but most of that was, um, you know, in support of my brother and my fiance. Uh, but uh, if they were playing anyone else, I think I would have just been silent the entire game. I was rooting for Duke out of the desire for Clemson to lose, but it would have been very, very difficult for me if they're playing anybody else to kind of have that same uh, mindset going into it. Um, but it made it really easy to choose a side and I did choose a side and it really pained me for most of the game. I, uh, tried to stay away from any chance. Obviously, I mean, I put up my fingers when, you know, the, the Cameron crazies did because I, I just thought it was a cool experience, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. It was a little bit painful, but you know, I was there with the people that I love and had a good time. It was, uh, it was definitely a yeah. unique experience. And they won, the they won by two. It's probably a great oh, game. Yeah. It, was, um, it was an incredible game, and it kind of made me laugh because, you know, the number nine seed is losing to Clemson with, like, four minutes left. And I was like, you know, I would be so pissed if Clemson won. But it made me laugh a little bit because, like, yeah, I the, mean, it's Duke. there must have been a lot of hands on heads in that in that yeah. stand. Oh yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. It was loud as heck in, uh, in Cameron, and yeah. uh, I mean, I like as a UNC fan, obviously, it there was like lots of emotion, but uh, and I've I've never really appreciated Coach K for like who he is. I'm just kidding. I I have always appreciated him. He's an incredible coach. And whoa, whoa, I, I whoa! Love that what dude. were you saying at but first? I was gonna say, as a UNC fan, I never had the chance to actually want him to win. I never watched the game and was like, man, I just want Coach K to win this, or like, you know, like I I want him to be a good coach because like you know, I'd never had the chance to root for coach K to play well or to coach well and for his team to play well. And it was actually pretty cool to like be on the other side of that for once, because it allowed me to appreciate greatness. Um, and it's just like, I mean, it just gave a little bit of freedom. Like it, it felt like when Tom Brady went down to Tampa, I no longer had to root against them. I could just be like, all right, yeah, I want Tom Brady to win the Super Bowl this year. And as a Giants fan, I never really felt the freedom to say that because it's the Patriots. And I, I mean, it's not really a rival, but it like kind of became a rival. And so it just like gave myself like a little bit of freedom to like look at him and be like, holy crap. Like I got a chance to watch that dude coach and he is probably one of the greatest coaches in any sport. And um, I think watching him in his last season and being there at Cameron to like seeing, I mean, he was standing like 30 feet away from me. We were basically on the court um, and uh, it was just, it was really cool. And I do have to say that I really appreciated that moment, even as a former UNC fan. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So hats off to Coach K his I, last year I, yeah, because that man off. is a genius. Absolute genius. Um, USA Recruiting basketball coach. boss. Yes. Absolute stud. I do want to take this time, as we're talking about college basketball, to do a little transition here to the NBA. Um, take oh, yeah. a step up a notch. Um, yeah. Did you want to talk about the – new leader for the MVP race? 
Yes, I was reading today. Um, I, I actually hold on. I, I'm gonna just get my facts straight. So I was reading on Bleacher Report today, and the leader in the MVP race is my favorite player, Nikola Jokic. Um, I'm looking up right now if that aligns with NBA.com because that's usually the the most looked at one. Um, I believe it does. I believe the Bleacher Report uh, aligns with NBA.com. I think it's just the same article posted in two locations, but let me just be sure. Yeah, so NBA.com also has Jokic um, and then Giannis and then Steph and uh, wait, hold on. No, and then it's Jokic, Giannis, Joel, KD, Chris Paul. Okay, so it's a little bit different. I apologize. Bleacher Report, I think, had Jokic, Giannis, Steph, then Embiid, and Damar. And which I actually kind of think Bleacher Report is a little bit closer, but NBA changes up a lot more. Uh, which is fair because it's still pretty early in the season. So they go based off of like a real recency bias, which is why Steph has already fallen to six. Um, But like the way Steph started, obviously, I don't think there was much question a couple months in that Steph was the leader. Uh, But, you know, recently he's just kind of gotten onto a cold streak and uh, Jokic has taken over as the front runner right now in the discussions. And I, I want to talk about that because we're at 46 games, at least for the Nuggets, we're at 46. They're playing their 47th tonight. So we're over halfway through the season and approaching all-star break. And uh, we might have a two in a row MVP. I mean, we might have, someone who defends his case as MVP again, which I, I don't know if that's happened before Giannis winning two years and then Jokic winning two years. Like, have we had double repeats before? I don't know. Um, so that would be kind of interesting. I think it would piss a lot of people off. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, Andrew. I know that you like Jokic, but I, I feel like that might kind of eat at your, uh, mentality a little bit but i i mean yeah it's hard to say anybody else because i i know you don't think Jokic is the best player in the league and i i don't think so either but i just but most valuable right now not a doubt in my mind that man is the most but he's carrying this team to not even like play in in like the play-in game contention he's got his team above the lakers and in uh pure playoff guaranteed playoff position right now which is crazy um michael porter jr probably out for the year jamal murray's still not back i mean he's got aaron gordon as his robin right now um who's not the most prolific scorer in the game um yeah Jokic is is the point guard for that i mean he's the best passer best rebounder and best scorer for that team um, I do appreciate that outlook. I wasn't sure if you would think differently. Yeah, um, I mean, he's definitely I, not I the best defensive player for that team, but right. he's not terrible on defense. <laughs> I agree with that. He can take yeah, up he's space. Definitely, yeah, he's definitely improved defensively. Um, this guy finished uh, pretty pretty high up in uh, steals last year, I believe. Halfway through the year, I remember seeing he was like fourth in steals. I think he finished top 10 in steals last year as a center. Um, 
had over a block per game. I mean, obviously not putting up in bead stats, but um, but the defense is coming along. Uh, he's been able to uh, he's been able to guide the defense better, and it's something that a lot of people don't see because you don't see in stats. But he controls the defense well. The Nuggets have played uh, good team defense all year. I believe it took like in their first twenty games. I think they only let one opponent. Uh, score over a hundred or something like that. It was, they, they really got off to a hot start defensively and that's very unusual for the nuggets. But what I've seen as a fan is Jokic able to demand what is needed from the defense in real time. And while he's not the most agile or quick defensive player out there or able defensive player out there, um, he knows what the team needs to do. And I, I think that's, very important and an important thing that a lot of voters realized in last year's voting that you don't just have to be a great defensive player to allow your team to play good defense because the Nuggets did have a good defense last year and much better than previous years. Um, and Jokic's defensive stat lines weren't jumping off the page while they're better. Um, it was it was more about his impact as a leader on the team. And that's kind of what propelled him in the MVP conversation along with his uh, his statistical numbers. But this year he is averaging his best numbers, uh, most points per game, uh, highest efficiency ratings. Um, he's averaging 7.8 assists. He's averaging, I believe, like 13 rebounds, maybe more at this point, maybe 13 and a half. And the dude is just shooting the lights out. And so, I think there's little to argue at this point um, uh, that sure there's players out there that are far more athletic and more capable defensively. But, uh, but as far as mindset goes, I, I think Jokic is one of the smartest uh, basketball players out there and, uh, and one of the most efficient, I mean, it's, it's tough to be over 500 on uh, injured nuggets team right now. I mean, obviously, like you said, Murray and MPJ are hurt, but, like up and down the roster, uh, Will Barton has missed a ton of games, um, who is probably in there for like arguable second best player on the team. I, I think Aaron Gordon is like, you know, definitely the Robin right now, given the contract situation and, and the expectation going into the season. And, and he's, uh, he's actually performed really yeah, well he's for playing like the a contract Robin. that he's they playing gave him. Absolutely. Good. Yeah, he's definitely fit into that role well, and and I'm really happy to see that because he just seems like a guy who's so happy to be in Denver and so happy to be on the receiving end of passes from Jokic, as everybody saw in the viral clip of the game winner last week um, of Jokic just hurling across the court to Aaron Gordon in the corner. And so just things like that make a Nuggets fan happy. Uh, being 25 and 21, I think, yeah, 25 and 21 uh, is a really good place to be at a little bit more than halfway through the season. If you just get one of Jamal or MPJ back, hopefully, I mean, both of them would be really nice. Um, that that record is going to look a whole lot better. But, uh, but, you know, doing it as like, you know, a bit of a one-man show, obviously he's got pieces around him, but uh, being, being the main guy on his team. I mean, it's, it's impressive enough to, uh, to recognize him in the MVP conversation. And, um, and, and last year was a little bit, uh, 
little bit different. The Nuggets weren't looking like the best. And honestly, it was when Jamal got hurt that Jokic had propelled himself because then the uh, Nuggets went on a, I think like a 10 game win streak or something, or like, or they won nine out of like the 10 that like Jamal had missed uh, after that. And so, um, so those are the things that has propelled Jokic uh, to like his MVP last year and seemingly like propelling him to the MVP this year is that he's showing that he can do it on his own. And he's never really been asked of that in his NBA career, but he's really holding down the fort while we're waiting for guys like Jamal and MPJ to come back. And, um, and yeah, I mean, again, that just, you know, great things to see for the future of the Nuggets. It was really tough start to the season, seeing those two guys go down um, and, uh, and started feeling like we were losing this championship window. But if Jokic is able to keep the Nuggets in the playoffs, I mean, that's all I could ever ask for. Um, we, you know, missed so many years in the playoffs and um, I'm just happy to be where we are given all the injuries. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's my spiel on Jokic. Very happy to be a Nuggets fan right now and excited to uh, see where this season ends up. Yeah. Same here with Hopefully the Bulls. Back to backs. Very excited. Um, but that's not the playoffs. Not even We're not even close. Not even to the all-star break. Not even to the trade deadline. Nope. It'll oh. be getting a lot more. Um, we'll be talking a lot more about the NBA and the MLB um, coming up in a couple months. Um, but the NBA more recently, we'll be talking about the NBA than, than we will the MLB with the rate this lockout's going. But um, the sport that is in the playoffs right now is, is arguably the best sport out there and the most contagious sport out there. And that's the NFL. Before we talk about uh, the games and our picks from this previous week, um, we're going to talk about Sean Payton for just a little bit. I, I just want your first, first thought, just the first thought when you saw that he was quote unquote retiring. Sean Payton. Yeah. Um, first thought I, you see, it's funny because I didn't, so before I really, I, I saw it first on social media. And so before I really read into a statement, I was like, this doesn't feel like a retirement. And as I continue reading, it felt less and less like a retirement and just like more like a break. And oh, my first he was talking reaction, about how he had lost love for football. What? Yeah. My first lost love for football. He's full. Of, he's full of crap. Yeah, um, absolutely. It, yeah, he he lost love for the Saints because he's overpaid right. so many players on that team, and he now saw right. he saw an out. He said, "I'm going to take a break for a year or two, and then come back." Um, and everybody knows I'm a great coach, so I will get any job that I want. Really, that's open right. um, in the next year or I'm two. I'm with that. Um, so yeah. he's not going to take a job for to. this year. I think he's going to take a year off just to say, you know what, I took a year off and now I really want to get back to football because I hated spending time alone with just my, <laughs> not, not that he's going to hate that. He'll probably enjoy it. And it's such a stressful job. Um, yeah. And there's so many people at your throats and all the fans are crazy yeah. and ownership and stuff like that. So, but the saints cap, it's everybody such knows an easy out though. They, they have the worst cap 
projective cap for next year. They have an aging roster with no, no franchise QB. So yeah, it, it was, it's yeah. a perfect time for him to set it to jump ship. Right. He, uh, he definitely like, I, I saw this in a statement. He was saying, like, all I ever wanted to do, uh, you know, how I was raised to do things was that I wanted to leave the place better from where I started. And he absolutely did that. And um, and so I I feel like I, I think, you know, you hit the point right on the head. But uh, it's just it's one of those things that feels like he's going to, like you said, be out for a year. And it's such an easy out. Like you could just be like, Hey, you know, I'm tired of football right now. I want to take a break. I want to see my kids. I want to spend time with my wife. Like, you know, that like everybody gets that, like it's, you know, no harm done. Like he talked to his players, his players are supporting him, ownership supporting him. Like he's going out in a good way, but it's so easy for him to come back next year and be like, all right, you know what? Last year I got a little stir crazy. I just want to be back in the game and nobody even questions it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so for Sean Payton, there's no loss here. Like you said, people know he's a great coach and there's never going to be any animosity towards him for leaving uh, because of the way that he addressed it. Like, you know, he just wants to be with his family and whether or not, like, like I obviously believe that to be true and truthful. Um, but like, even if it wasn't like that, that's just like an easy statement to say, like, you know, I mean, that's an easy way to move on. And quite frankly, it's, it's more professional than uh, the likes of uh, Urban Meyer has done it. But, uh, but this is not a new thing in coaching football. I mean, when, when coaches want out of a situation, but they're not going to be fired because they're so talented, uh, but they don't want to leave with any animosity from the team or towards the team, you kind of just, you see a lot of coaches just taking breaks and like, you know, their reputation is not going anywhere. And so, um, so job opportunities will still be flooding through his window. And, uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. I don't think this is the end of football for him. I expect to see him on a broadcast this year and, uh, probably back on the field next year, but I mean, we'll see. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't see him giving losing his complete love for football and staying yeah. out of the game for the rest There's of no his shot. life. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he did a great job in New Orleans. Um, he got them a Super yeah. Bowl, um, not him single-handedly, but built, built a franchise um, and put together a team. that Talk about a great story. Though, him I and mean. Drew Brees. Um, yeah, but I knew once Drew Brees retired that it would be different for him. And he right. probably misses Absolutely. Drew Brees a lot. And mm-hmm. yeah you are going to miss your franchise QB. So right. um, hats off. Enjoy your long retirement. You're only like, I think he's like in his 50s. So early retirement 58. to you. Yeah, yeah. 58. Uh, should have a lot of years left to just enjoy, kick back on the beach. Um, yeah. So if I'm tr- fully trusting him, I mean, yeah, I wish I was drinking mimosas with him right now uh, in Turks and Caicos. Um, but I'm not. Um, I'm here with yeah. y'all. Um, and actually, I wouldn't could be, be anywhere else. I am in love with sports, <laughs> and I don't think I could be away from sports right now, um, especially with this divisional round of the NFL. Those four games were maybe the – Here's where I, I could have. I watched some <laughs> – yeah. Um, you were wrong 
on all of them, Beal. You were 0 for 4. Right. But picks aren't everything. The games were incredible games, all right. one possession games. Um, to me, so I was close. That's on four yeah, of them. Yeah, but wrong on all of them. Yes, yes, I was yeah. close on all of them too with that metric. But I was right for three out of four of them, which is pretty good. And we often don't disagree. Like you and I, I mean, I mean, there's certain stuff that we disagree on uh, baseball. But every other sport, I feel like we usually kind of see eye to eye with a lot of things. Um, so it was a little bit surprising to have such different outlooks going into this weekend. But clearly, there is a more knowledgeable football person on this podcast, and he is not the one speaking right now. Yeah, uh, I, I'd pat myself on the back, but I, I'm just going to say, say this. I mean, to me, the Rams-Bucks game was a pick em. And I just felt like Tom wasn't going to do it again. So he was so close. Though. I know. I know. He, he like really did close. it. Then and the Rams I, won. I felt so good about my pick in, in like the end of the first half, even throughout the whole third quarter. And the Rams tried to lose that game. That was probably oh, the craziest goodness. game. Like that was, should have been a blow. That should have been like a two possession game. There's no way. With what? With what other quarterback can you possibly feel the confidence, though? Like, I don't think anybody gave up no. after the first half. Like, after the first quarter when they were down, like, 20-something, it was like, well, Tom Brady's still on the other side of the field. Like They were know, down 27-3 to three in the third quarter, like, yeah. mid-third quarter. It's, it's and I, crazy. And nobody gave up on them. Like, everybody was, you know, still watching that game. Like, all right, well, something's going to happen. Like, this is going to be a game. This is not going to be a blowout. And sure enough – the Bucks tied it up at 27. Yeah. Um, I was that was an incredible game. I thought you were gonna get your first win there. Um, and then the Bills, the Bills let the Chiefs in 13 seconds on Sunday night, the best game of the weekend, in my opinion. Um, two of the best quarterbacks, arguably the two best quarterbacks in the league right now, um, going at it on Sunday night. And you left Patrick Mahomes 13 seconds. Granted, he had his timeouts, but 13 seconds. And he had to get his team in field goal range in 13 seconds. He did it. He did it in two plays, two throws. Um, and it looked like the easiest thing that a man could ever do. The Giants could never. Like I, I in in the first round of the playoffs or even this round, they were mentioning what the Niners averaged this year. And it was like, yeah, they averaged like a mediocre, like 20 something, 24 points a game or something like that, or like 22 points a game. It was something, it's something like that. And I was like, what I would do right now to die for 22 points a game, because the Giants can't even with Jake Fromm and Mike Lennon at the end of the season, we couldn't put up, we couldn't get the double digit points. We couldn't put up 10 points. So did you see the uh, fun fact about the uh, the Chiefs' 13-second drive? I did not. The fun fact is the Chiefs' drive, obviously, oh, yeah, like I said, yeah, I took did. 13 seconds. Dak Prescott scramble <laughs> two weekends ago <laughs> took 14 seconds. Yeah, I mean, there's just – those two quarterbacks are not even in the same realm of conversation. They're the two top no, highest paid – they're the that. highest paid quarterbacks in the league, those two. 
but they shouldn't be mentioned in the same sentence. That, no, I mean, no. it, it's disrespectful to Patrick Mahomes by doing yeah. that. Um, but Josh Allen and the Bills, that's heartbreak at its finest. That yeah. team, I think if they – I think the winner of that game is the Super Bowl winner. I um, agree at this point. But since everybody agrees to that point, it can't be, right? Um, no, it can't. I, what if the Bengals win it? That would be fun. I Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow just link up for 300 yards next week. The Bengals got so lucky in this game. Ryan yeah, Tannehill. Yeah, they Ryan Tannehill threw three picks, um, and you thought they hit the ball on their own 40 with like a minute to go, with 40 seconds to go, um, and a third and five. So either most likely scenario, they don't get the third and five punt, and they go to OT. Or they get the, the first down, kick a field goal to win the game, but not give the other team a chance to win. Instead, he throws it into triple coverage, to his fourth wide receiver, not A.J. Brown, who had like 140-something yards, 142 yards, something like that this weekend, not to Julio Jones, not a dump off to one of his running backs, Hilliard, who had who had been playing great of lately, or his tight end, Ferkser, who he loved. Nope. To Nick – wait, he's got two last names, so you know you can't trust this man. I'll look up his name, but – Anyways, uh, I I don't I don't understand um, why you weren't going to throw the ball to AJ Brown there, and he throw it he threw it to this man in triple coverage. Yeah. Granted, it gets batted up. Good play by Eli Apple of all people, who had a terrible game and is still terrible. So I do not miss Eli Apple at all um, from the Giants. But um, Nick Westbrook, a key. Akine. And granted, I keep saying fourth string. He's the third string um, wide receiver for them. Um, if you can make that argument with Chester Rogers, but why are you throwing the ball to Nick Westbrook Akine in that situation? I can't answer that for you. Yeah, but I do love a nice rematch of Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, which I said was going to come this playoffs. I didn't expect it to be in the championship game. I predicted it to be this past weekend with the Pats winning. I was wrong there, but we get the rematch again. And I think the chiefs this time take the win um, in a close one. Cause you can never count out Joe swaggy burrow and Jamar chase the, 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 and that team is just playing with, it just seems like a team of destiny, which is giving me, it's just giving me like old Eli Manning, like, sense of like throwing up prayers and the prayers are just being answered. Um, and the defense is playing hard, but they don't have the D line that the giants teams had. So I, I just don't think this team is good enough to, to beat the chiefs. Um, yeah. You yeah. hear my call. Yeah. And I am happy to be wrong, but there's one unique team left in the playoffs. And I think, you know, where I'm going with this. But we got Patrick Mahomes as quarterback of the Chiefs. We got Matt Stafford as quarterback of the Rams. We got, uh, you know, a balling Joe Burrow, young, studly, looking like maybe a top five quarterback in a couple of years, Joe yeah. Burrow leading the Bengals. And then we got Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> leading the right. San Francisco 49ers. You... And because of that, 
because of that, the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl because they have a unique situation where they don't have a top quarterback in the league and they have a bottom quarterback in the league. Whoa, 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 whoa. Samuel. Me and my dad, (laughs) my dad was here this weekend and my mom. And I've had this conversation with my roommate too, who don't feel so bad. My roommate also picked the four four teams you picked this past weekend and went 0 for 4. So don't feel that bad. Um, Oh, I still feel bad. Because other people have too. Um, But what I do want to say is Joe Burrow, um, Matt Stafford, Pat Mahomes, no, not in the same category as them. But Jimmy G, I was going through the list. And if you go through every single team, we can do this next week. Um, yeah. If Jimmy G makes the Super Bowl, we will definitely do this next week. Um, right. Or we can do we can do a short pod if you want to this weekend because if you're going to be bundled up with the snow like I am, and you can make if you can make a little time, I would be happy to go through this um, as like a little Absolutely. preview to all of the conference championship games. Um, but. He is a middle-of-the-road quarterback. I think we had him ranked collectively yeah. at, like, 17, which out of 30, yeah. 32 teams is pretty good. But Yeah, it's not bad. I think you put him in that same tier now. And if he gets to another Super Bowl, would you rather have him than Dak Prescott? No. Well, you see, he's got to win to kind of, like, beat out the players okay. that he's, like, all right. Not technically better than in the regular season. I hate Dak Prescott, but I'm really biased. So it, it's tough to have that conversation. But when it comes down to it, like I was saying about this too, and Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, that man knows how to win when he gets into the playoffs. And like, and he just has been winning. Like whether it looks great, whether it looks ugly, it doesn't matter. Like he's been winning. And that's what it comes down to. And like, I'm not throwing him up there with like any previous names that we've had, but like, but there's certain quarterbacks that like have gotten into the playoffs and look like a different player. And I mean, there's certain quarterbacks who look like a different player and they look like the best player in the league. I wouldn't say Jimmy Garoppolo has looked like the best player in the league. Like he's not doing Eli Manning things out there in the playoffs, but he does know how to handle his team. He knows how to win. He knows how to not turn over the ball. He knows how to utilize his receivers and and make use of his defense and make use of the time that he's on the field to give defense rest like he does all those things really well and he manages the game really well and like so for those reasons I mean he's definitely better than I think we've made him out to be but yeah I'm kind of with you on the middle of the pack right now I mean like I might have had him as like 22, 23 going into the season, uh, expecting him to lose his job almost automatically, no matter what happened. I don't necessarily feel that way. Like, I, I feel like at this point, like, obviously, he's not like a shoe in for his job and anything can happen. But given what the 49ers have been capable of late this season and winning eight of their last did, 10 games to get into the playoffs, like, I mean, that's impressive stuff. Did I not tell you about this, this team, though? In the beginning, I should have kept it. This is a this is a lesson for every every man, woman, and child out there. When you come to your initial gut thought, you stick to it because it's gonna bite right. you in the butt. Like your natural instincts are usually pretty good. Now, not with everything, you know, 
So you got to think out things, which is what we do. But when you second guess yourself all the time, that leads to failure here. Because I, my original Super Bowl prediction was Niners Chiefs, which was a um, prediction that I had made right before, um, right in the beginning of that show. And then I went back on it and said, let me be safer and go Packers Chiefs. But now I'm kicking myself in the butt here because I could have been sitting pretty. Um, yeah. And then at the start of the season, uh, I said Rams Chargers because the Super Bowl is taking place in SoFi Stadium, um, which is where the Rams play, which is where they'll have their home game of the NFC Championship game. I don't think the Rams lose for a third time. It's hard to beat a team three times, so I think they do beat the Niners. Um, I think with the way Aaron Donald and the way Von Miller is playing now. But then again, they could the Rams just tried to fumble the the game this past game literally four fumbles four lost fumbles um but we didn't talk about the Packers game um the last game we didn't talk about this divisional round this was the biggest shocker to me and to me um um to me this speaks volume to me that there's three phases of the game Offense, defense, and special teams. And that's the only sentence you need to say to sum up this game. Yeah. Yep. Blocked punt, blocked um, field goal for – I mean, blocked punt for a touchdown, a blocked field goal. The nine, That Niners team with their great returns to the 50-yard line. I mean, it, it, it was the field position battle, everything. It, it was just won by their special teams, which is, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. it. I mean, honestly, I mean, like, this is different. This is very different than the NFL. But, like, there's a reason why the term, like, Beamer ball had been coined in college football because um, Beamer at Virginia Tech, I mean, like, that's what he became known for is just playing all out uh, on special teams and, and doing that and, like, getting the tide of games just changed into his favor and uh and so that's just a culture that like i don't really feel like has been a huge part of the nfl and every so often you could like kind of see it in how the eagles were when they had deshaun jackson or like you know devin hester leading off the super bowl with a kick return touchdown although you know they ended up losing to the colts that year but like i mean those are the things that change the tide of a game and regardless of the points that you get on special teams it's more so the like, I, I don't know, I guess just the hype level, like even as a fan, like anything that happens on special teams is just it, it carries a little bit more weight. And so, like, as a player, you can imagine what that does and um, and what that kind of brings to the sidelines and like gets people like to kind of get going, especially in a game where there wasn't a ton of scoring on offense and a ton of movement and the defense. Uh, for both sides was probably exhausted but like when special teams comes out there and makes a big play I mean that kind of just gets everyone going and like like you said I mean like regardless of the points that it had allowed it's you know it just changes tide it changes the tide of the game and the uh you know that's exactly what happened yeah both the Niners and Bengals seem like teams of destiny wild things have happened and they're both two I mean, the Bengals were favored against the Raiders in their opening game, but the Niners have been 
underdogs. They beat the Cowboys. They go into Jerry World, win that game. They go into Lambeau and win. This team reminds me much more. And you know how I just mentioned Eli and the Giants. This D-line and this O-line for this team and the special teams, they're a complete team. Um, and it's just how far Jimmy can take them. Um, and Jimmy G, I think, is motivated because he knows Trey Lance. They just spent two first-round picks to get up and go get Trey Lance. Um, there's a quarterback waiting in the wings. It seems like his job is on the fritz. And he's playing like – I mean, he's not playing great, but he's playing good enough for them to win and making key throws and, and key plays. Um, so right. – when your job's on the line, you're definitely going to play a little bit harder. Um, but to finish up, uh, we'll go to the championship games. Um, and we'll add, since there's only two games now, uh, we'll pick these games. Um, do you want to go spreads and the over-under, or do you want to go just who wins and then the over-under as well? Uh, we'll do who wins and the over-under. Okay. All right, so for the chiefs Bengals game in the AFC, uh, I think we're both on the same page here taking the Chiefs. It's just a little bit of revenge, not that the Chiefs need any motivation to get to another Super Bowl, but I think they beat the I Bengals. Mean, I, I don't yeah. think – Like, <laughs> it pains me, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love Joe Burrow, and I'm going to root for them in this game, but – yeah, and the, the Chiefs are just a juggernaut, and they showed it with the plays Tyree Kill was making and Kelsey at the end of that game. Um, even Miko Hardman was making some big plays, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire is coming back to health. I mean, they got weapons all over the place. And Matthew got hurt. Tyron Matthew got hurt on the second play of the game with a concussion, and they still were able to find a way to win, which is crazy. The over-under, though, 54.5 points. Um, for reference, the over-under for the Bills-Chiefs game was 54. Um, so, and that was broken because the ending score was 42-36 because they went to OT and there was 17 points scored in the last two minutes. Um, but there was a sweat there because yeah. uh, fourth and fourth, 14 if the Bills don't get that with under two minutes left, the game's over pretty much. The Chiefs get one first down and the game's over and the score would have ended 26-21, which is only 47 total points. So it would have been the under. But without yeah, – yeah, it ends with 78-point total, um, which is incredible. But I don't think that will happen again. But what do you what are you taking, the over in this game? Yeah, I'm with the over. Just because, I mean – I don't know if it's going to be like a shootout per se, but like, I just, I feel like it's going to come down to late in the game and I would not be shocked if there's another like 17 point, like being thrown up in in the late fourth quarter. Um, yeah. I mean, in, both quarterbacks obviously are capable. So yeah. In Cincinnati, um, the, the game at near the end of the regular season, which bounced the chiefs, from the one seed to the two seed and gave the Titans the one seed, which was a big game. Um, the Chiefs were trying to win. The Chiefs lost in Cincinnati 34-31. So that's 65 yeah. points right there. So to me, this line – Jamar seems, Chase with like 200-something yards. Yeah, this line to me <laughs> seems way too low, way too low. 
for what they just did against each other with the chiefs, the, the points they just put up. Um, to me, this seems way too low, which is why I'm going to take the under in this game, because it just seems like it's a ratty line. It's like Vegas knows something here. So I'm going to take the under. Yeah. All right. Um, Not that I, I, I mean, don't logically, I don't think it's an under, but yeah, never. I, I'm going to stick with the under there. Um, Niners uh, Rams. Yeah, I'm fine with that. You want to start with who you're taking and then I'll start with the over under this one. So we swap. So we're not affected. We're equally affected. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, if I'm being honest, I was kind of just kidding about the 49ers thing. I do think Jimmy Garoppolo is more capable than I was making him out to be maybe earlier in the postseason and earlier this season. But uh, I just I got to stick with Matthew Stafford. I love that dude. Um, I have come to love Odell again. He used to be one of my favorite players, has now re-become one of my favorite players just because I, I don't know. I mean, I felt bad for the dude. Um, he's he's had a rough go at it, but is looking like he's kind of having fun again, throwing touchdowns and, you know, not touchdowns, but 40-yard passes downfield um, again like he used to do uh, to Saquon. But uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I just – I'm a little bit biased towards the players there. Um, I like the Rams. I love Aaron Donald. I, I kind of just love that team. And they're the team that I'm probably uh, – if if the Bengals can win against the Chiefs, I'm going to root for them in the Super Bowl just because I think it would be so cool for Joe Burrow to win. But my favorite team of the four is probably the Rams. And yeah. so I'm, I'm sticking with them. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't pick them though because the Packers. I mean, my brother's team. I, I had to go with Packers last week, but besides them, uh, you know. So you're taking the Rams just to make sure yeah. here. Yeah, just to yeah. Okay, you're taking the Rams. Uh, I know I've said all podcast. It's hard to beat a team three times. Um, and it is. It it just is. I mean, there's going to be a lot of bad blood in this game. The Rams are at home. I give them the slight edge. They're, they got more talent on this team. And like I said, Stafford was saved from the Lions. Um, he was a dead man walking in Detroit by this point in his career. Gives this team something different, um, an absolute cannon uh, that um, Goff did not give them. He gives them that incredible deep ball, which won them the game with Cooper Cup at the end of that game against the Bucks. Um, you saw Matt Stafford play a great game. Um, I think he does again. I think this is going to be – God, I really want to take the Niners, though, because they've been my team of destiny. But it, it just time and time again, it's really hard to beat a team three times. And I think the yeah. Rams get their revenge. I'm going to go revenge, revenge again this week. I, I did it last week. Um, with many revenge games, and I went three and one, so I'll go with that again. Uh, I'll go Rams here, even though I really want to. I'm gonna root again. I'm gonna root for the underdog because that's what we do as as fans. Um, right. Well, uh, that's at least what we you and you and I do as fans. Because um, and I love Debo. You know, we both love Debo from going to Gamecock alum and George Kittle. If you did, you see his quote 
at the end of the at the end of the game that the one yeah. word he answered they they were like how did you enjoy this terrible weather at this game and all the snow and stuff and he and he just he looks at the guy in amazement um the the interviewer and he goes wonderful and he starts smiling and laughing <laughs> he's like this is what dreams it. come true i'm from i think he's from wisconsin um and he said i've always dreamed it. about playing uh, in lambo with the snow coming down that is just the ultimate football guy i love george kittle he's incredible um yeah little bit of a crush on George Kittle, absolute beast um, of a tight end. He does the block. He does all the dirty work. Um, yeah, I think they should utilize him a little bit more in the passing game, and I think he could take off because the Rams are missing some safeties. And I'm really talking myself right now into taking San Fran, but I'll stick with the Rams. Um, and I'll start with the over-under. It's at 46 and a half. Um, and I'll look up what their past games have been. Their most recent game, I'll look up right at the end of the year. The Rams lost at home in OT 27-24 for a point total of, that's 51. So, again, it's more accurate. Um, so, again, it just seems too low. So, again, I, I just think with the way teams play in the playoffs and how hard they play. And in their first game, the Niners romped the Rams 31 to 10 for a total of 41. So they're kind of averaging out their two games in at 46 and a half, um, but it's right. on the turf. Yeah. I'm going to take the over here. Uh, it, it's close enough. They averaged it out, but I'm going to take the over it's on turf. So I'm taking the over in this game. Yeah. I'm all for the over. Oh, okay. Over. All right. So we have one different pick. So the winner of that pick wins um, the underverse over in the Chiefs Bengals game. Um, yeah, I'm confident. In, I'm not confident in the under there that I picked, but you know what? Screw it. Yeah, that I am willing to put my mouth where my mouth is. Yeah. All right. That, but that, that does it good for today's show. Um, have a great yeah. night, morning, um, enjoy a sunset, sunrise, wherever you are, or just a sunny day, not a, a cloudy day, snow, rain. Um, we've had some winter storms where we are come through and we're going to have another one this weekend. Um, so stay safe out there. Love you guys. Uh, yeah. All the same. Stay safe. Love you. Stay out of the snow. Stay warm. Uh, try not to lose power. If you do, find other ways to stay warm. Make a fire. Um, people are in control of their power grid. What? The average person is not in control of their power grid. No, no, they're not. That is, that is a proper statement. Don't right. disagree with you. I uh, just you do the one liners. Can I do the one liner today for the for the end of the show? Uh yeah, sure. Big Poppy shouldn't have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. Goodbye, all. Okay, no, then no. Strike that from the record. Uh one liner. This is our fucking city.